This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 1055 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. In today's tip, Steve Kraus joins the Hit'em crew to talk about how the Farrier School at Cornell School of Veterinary Medicine helps farriers and veterinarians work better together. And we'll get right to our tip after this important message from EquestrianCollections.com. Hi, Glenn, back with you, and I have Debbie from Equestrian Collections with the product of the week. Well, I've got to say top of the morning to you today because even though it is February, we are planning ahead for St. Patrick's Day. And this week I'm featuring the Excel Elite Celtic Stitch Design Brow Band. This brow band has the Celtic designs on it that are it's so hard to find. And today, and today everybody wants blingy brow bands. This one is blingy without being sparkly or over the top. It's a Celtic design. It comes in black and white, brown and brown, and brown and white. So you can get it for both your regular, you know, leather, brown leather, and black leather bridles. And I'm featuring it in February so that you can go ahead and get your order in and get everything set for your St. Patrick's Day parades and your early dressage shows and you want the brow bands to go with your bridles. It's got a Celtic design. They're all leather. And they are um, just very, they're very stylish. And Celtic designs are very popular, especially with some breeds, such as gypsies. <laughs> as you know, that's my breed. So this is why I was attracted to this brow band. It's unique. It's different. And um, I think everyone will love it. And you need to buy it in February so you can wear it in March. Now, does it come with built-in speakers playing uh, bagpipe music? <laughs> yes, it comes with bagpipe <laughs> music. <laughs> <laughs> Go to equestriancollections.com and search. just search for Celtic. It's bound to come up. <laughs> exactly. Among other things, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just search for Celtic and you're going to get everything you need uh, for St. Patty's Day, which is less than a month away now. So uh, hop on over. Oh, you do have lots of Celtic stuff. I just did search for Celtic. There's some right. jewelry. You got to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised how much you had, actually. All right, very good. You can find it there at equestriancollections.com. Well, we continue in our health talk today. We head, we head a little north of Rutgers University into New York, and we're, uh, we're going to be speaking to Steve Krause who is Head of Farrier Services at the Department of Clinical Sciences College of Veterinary Medicine at Cornell in New York. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning. Now, let's talk about this. Uh, we're now going to head up to Cornell University and, and the University of Veterinary Medicine there. Is it common for a, you know, well, first, we've always had this thing where this uh, sort of rivalry between farriers and veterinarians, and, and we as consumers sometimes get stuck in the middle of that particular thing. And, and we've had situations, personally, Jennifer and I, where, you know, we've had uh, issues with horses' feet, and we've had the farrier disagree with the vet and vice versa. Is it common for there to be farrier programs at veterinary schools? 
Um, no, actually, we're quite uncommon, and this is one of the most unique barrier programs in the country, if not the world. Um, there's only a few other veterinary colleges that have a um, what we call a resident farrier that's part of the faculty. Um, some uh, veterinary college have an outside contract farrier, whereas I'm you know on the faculty here and have a lot of say in what goes on and how this program is run. And what also makes us unique is that we are a farrier school at a veterinary college. So we actually teach um, non-Cornell students you know, outside students to become farriers, as well as teach veterinary students um, a lot about the hoof and shoeing and get a respect for farriers and doing that. So it's a whole different uh, way of doing things than most places go. Why is it? There's two things that surprised me when I started to learn more about veterinary medicine and talking to vets and what they actually learn at vet school. And there were two areas that, that they were really lacking in vet school. One was nutrition and the second was, second was the talk about horses' feet. Because, you know, more things and more problems result from problems in the feet than probably any other area of the horse. And even the traditional Chinese medicine doctors will, will say that. So why is it that there's was so little taught up until today about horses' feet and about nutrition, for that matter. Well, well, here's what what's happened. If you go back, you know, our program is the oldest uh, uh, farrier program in the country. We just celebrated 100 years. And if you go back in our history of this program and, and prior to that, at the Veterinary College of Cornell, a tremendous amount was taught about the hooves and legs and, and shoeing problems. And the veterinary students actually had to spend time learning how to make therapeutic shoes and how to apply them because there wasn't that many other things that you can do to help a horse that was being used for, you know, moving freight and people and delivering goods and all that, you know, 100 plus years ago. And as time has gone on, the advances in medicine has crowded that out to some degree. So there's a lot more things that veterinarians need to learn on how to deal with horses, colics, and, and metabolic diseases, and, you know, all these other medical things that the, the uh, hoof and leg stuff get, has gotten crowded out to the point where um, only veterinary students that uh, want to do equine track will get um, uh, very much training in, in, in horse, horse hooves and legs. Hmm. And so why has there always been this kind of contentiousness between the farriers and the vets? Well, we don't have that here. In fact, we, you know, teach the veterinary students as well as the farrier students that, you know, we, we both have uh, our, um, our skills and knowledge that we combine to help the horse. Um, and sometimes when either farriers are poorly trained in therapeutic uh, things or when veterinarians don't have the training in farrier things and they're trying to do something out of the textbook that might sound right but not might apply to the horse and the farrier who may have more practical experience may say, well, I don't agree with this. And the opposite can happen too with a farrier, you know, uh, that's maybe not that well experienced. Just be, being able to shoe horses properly versus just nailing shoes on versus being able to do therapeutic work is different things. So it takes a lot of experience to understand how to apply any type of therapeutic type horseshoe. So if you have an uh, inexperienced farrier going up against an experienced veterinarian that's sort of telling them what needs to be done, uh, then there may be a, a clash of egos. Here we work as a team. 
the veterinarians do an excellent job of diagnosing lameness along with myself as part of that. And then they ask me what, what I think needs to be done. Then I assess the horse's confirmation, foot type, and ask the owners, what's your expectations? What does this horse do for a living? And so we use all this information to come up with the right plan for the horse. And so, so now, um, have you seen, have there been any changes? You've been doing this quite a while. Are we seeing issues popping up now with the horse's feet that we have not seen so much before? Is anything changing there or are we, you know what I'm asking? The biggest thing that I see that has changed is what um, some of the breed registration industry has done and how they're selecting horses. And they, they tend to select horses more for what might, um, please a judge in a show ring, which may not contribute to long-term health and soundness of hooves and legs. And so a lot of thinking is short-term, especially in some of the, you know, uh, uh, halter type industry and so on. Um, and so we are, we are selecting for traits that make a horse popular in the show ring, but we're also tending to maybe do a little line breeding here and there. And so we're bringing out undesirable traits in the hooves and legs. Yeah, I agree. So now, so now with your particular program there at Cornell, the, do, are the veterinary students required to take a farrier program? Uh, the veterinary students, first-year students, no matter what they, you know, going to eventually do here, all have to take some basic lectures and labs with us, um, and then from there. They never have to see us again if they're not going to go into large animal type work. Then the veterinary students who are going into large animal work and going into equine um, you know, oriented work, then not only do they have a whole bunch of lectures and labs that they're going to take here, but they can even elect to take two uninterrupted weeks uh, with us and the farrier students. And then some of them even take the full course in, you know, like in, in their break time. Very good. Well, you know, and, and of course, uh, some countries, you know, as far as farrier programs, their licenses, and you know, they're they're a lot stricter than we are here in the United States. Is is there any talk of of going that route, making it a you know, making sure that farriers are well trained here? Um, there's talk, but it really it's very hard to get it. You know, the Britain has the model, but it's a smaller country and very much more traditional. Um, I'm a, a member of the American Farriers Association and have supported that organization for a very long time. And we developed a certification program that's a, a voluntary certification program um, that is uh, administered by, you know, uh, chapter groups of the association. And we use that not only to help, uh, you know, bring farriers past a, um, a minimum level of confidence with several steps above that, but also as a learning, you know, a goal to learn how to pass the test in, in knowledge and in skill and performance. So uh, that would be the model should there ever be licensing or anything. But at this point, the consumer and the horse is really not protected in any government uh, way. And there's a lot of debate whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing, and it would not be something that could just be brought on very rapidly because it would, you know, it would it would cause a lot of problems to do that. Yeah. Well, Steve, this has been good. What website is there? A website people can uh, find you at? 
Yes, yes. Um, uh, we are at www.bet.cornell.edu and slash education and slash farrier. And we also have a Facebook page that just says Cornell Farrier Program, and anybody could go on that. And you could probably Google that. And Jennifer will post a link to it also on our Horses in the Morning Facebook page as well. This has been very interesting, a very interesting morning of horse health here on Horses in the Morning. We appreciate you stopping by, Steve, and we're glad you missed the big one. Okay, yeah, me too. Now we're just we're just freezing now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, thanks, Steve. <laughs> well, that about takes care of it. This podcast has been made possible through the generous support of EquestrianCollections.com and listeners like you. To learn how to become an official auditor and qualify for cool auditor-only perks, go to HorseTipDaily.com and click on the Become an Auditor banner in the center of the page. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily. (laughs) 